Light Warrior Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Kant, author of the number one bestseller, Sensitivity is Your Superpower, How to Harness Your Gifts, Fulfill Your Purpose, and Create a Life of Joy. And in case you don't already have it, I have a Sensitive Soul Empowerment Guide, The Three Ways of Navigating Your Way to More Peace, Positivity, and Personal Power. Um, so you can manifest the life that you really, really want and not have to suffer from your symptoms and, and just feel like you're doing good in the world. So that's like fulfilling your purpose, right, guys? So the um, website to go to is sensitivesoulguide.com, and that will forward you to the page and where you can put in your information and get that free download, so sensitivesoulguide.com. And I'm really excited today because I am going to be speaking with someone who is not only a highly sensitive person, HSP, but also a highly sensitive male. <laughs> so we, you know, we don't hear as much about the highly sensitive men in our lives. And granted, you know, we grow up in a society that does not applaud men for their sensitivity. So I know for my husband, it was, you know, challenging growing up. I know for my brother, who, you know, will not, at least at this point, admit that he's highly sensitive, grew up with a lot of um, old, what I like, like to call old-fashioned teachings, don't cry, stop playing with dolls, you know, that kind of thing. And he, unfortunately, grew uh, a heart wall, if you will, so uh, kind of a thick skin on the outside, And um, but that's not who he really is, and I know he's highly sensitive, and one day I'm hoping that, you know, he'll honor that sensitivity. So today we're going to be talking about the role that highly sensitive men can have in reshaping and redefining masculinity, and here it is, you know, guys, when we talk about healing of the world and so many of us highly sensitive person want to make a difference, right now is a very pivotal time in humanity's evolution. And a lot of women are stepping forward. I know it's the Aquarian age, the 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 you know, the feminine is stepping forward and leadership and things like that. And we also need our men and our, you know, the masculine energy as well as a balance, um, not toxic masculinity, as a lot of people have coined that term, but as a balance. So I'm super excited um, to talk about our, you know, topic for today. And, you know, we are living a time where traditional masculine roles are really changing out of necessity. I can't even tell you how many people that I know who are women who are like the sole breadwinners you know, of, of their home, myself included. It's it's not unusual anymore. Um, but it's like, we're going to talk about like how how many or what percentage of the men out there are really highly sensitive, what's it like for them, um, you know, what the challenges are and how they can get some help. So my guest today is William Allen and he is the author of two books on sensitivity specifically for men. And... Um, they are named Confessions of a Sensitive Man and On Being a Sensitive Man. So uh, we are going to talk about you know, his um, experience in this space. And what's really interesting is that you know, he's a for former corporate manager that retired early to become a certified hypnotist, coach, and neurofeedback trainer. And uh, you know, his now passion and focus is helping highly sensitive people who are men to embrace that trait of sensitivity. And as, of course, you guys know, 
my, my big passion, sensitivity is a superpower. I feel that sensitivity is a superpower. More and more women are coming to that understanding and utilizing it, but the men, you know, because they've been shunned for being sensitive in the past, it hasn't happened yet. Um, so I'm super excited to welcome William, Alan, hello, hello to the show today. I'm so Hi. excited to be here. Thank you. What a great introduction. I appreciate that. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. So tell us about yourself. Obviously, you've, you know, self-identified as a highly sensitive person, but what was it like growing up for you, and how did you, like, go from, like, former corporate manager IT person to now this, you know, this teacher and, and coach? Yeah, I, uh, I, well, I grew up, I'm in my mid-60s now, so I can kind of take on a role of an elder statesman here. Mm. Um I grew up in the late 50s, uh, 60s, and early 70s. It was the period of my childhood and into young adulthood. And during that period of time, there really wasn't anything about high sensitivity or sensory processing sensitivity, as it's called the technical term. And so consequently, I always heard things like you're too sensitive or yep. you need to toughen up. and. Yep and all kinds of things because I was more emotional uh, as a child and it was a, a natural thing for me and I had uh, you know uh, struggles because of my sensory perception as, as, as you know as, as I was growing up things like touch and taste and things you know were really important to me uh, and so again I struggled uh, I grew up in the southeastern US which is probably one of the most traditional um, sections of the United States and mm. men were supposed to do a certain thing and women were supposed to do a certain thing and if you didn't fit nice and neatly into those buckets you were kind of an outlier and that's that's the kind of life that I grew up with um, I didn't know that there was such a trait as high sensitivity but I knew there was something different about me but like most good boys did back then I just sort of sucked it up and tried yep. to be the man I was supposed to be uh, by definition and um, you know I got into um, I mean I actually did an undergraduate degree in psychology it's one area that I, I was always fascinated with but I wound up in a career in information technology which is uh, it's evolved over the course of the last 30 40 years but at the time it was mostly men uh, it was a very masculine profession. It was a very sort of uh, almost like an engineering science based, yes. very objective, mm -hmm. uh, unemotional, logic, very logical. Right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I was in that career for most of my core, all of my corporate career. Um, and it, I struggled with it. It was difficult. It was difficult to be an HSP and be in uh, an environment where the kinds of things that appeal to me and the kinds of uh, things that uh, ways that I approach managing staff and so forth weren't always looked on so favorably I was a little bit more compassionate and a lot more empathetic than most of the managers that that I worked with mm -hmm. uh, but my staff appreciated it and they grew with it right. but over the course of many mergers and and I uh, worked at a large bank and and around 2010 the last merger I'd gone through was the most toxic one I'd been through and it was ab absolutely really starting to have an effect on my health my mental health 
Um, and at some point, I just decided um, I wanted out. So I was able to arrange for an early retirement. Uh, didn't know exactly where I wanted to go from there, but uh, knew I wanted to do something along the lines of coaching or helping people. That's a real right. natural trait for HSPs, as you well know. Mm. Uh, a lot of us wind up in those kind of careers because that's... And how old were you then? I was probably late 50s. Okay. Um, and um, I looked to go back to graduate school, decided not to do that. Found a hypnosis school in Portland, Oregon. I was living in Oregon at the time. And um, took the class, came back, started a little business in the town I was living in, in Bend, Oregon. And started working, doing hypnosis, hypno-coaching is what I called it. It wasn't therapeutic hypnosis. It was more about helping people overcome, you know, sort of challenges they might have that were things like either they want to smoke, stop smoking or they wanted to overcome some small phobia or whatever, and I would help them with that. And I really enjoyed it. And I found a lot of my clients were highly sensitive people who did not know they were highly sensitive. Mm -hmm. So I had a, a good time helping to educate them about the trait and uh, helping them embrace that. And for a lot of people, that was a, an eye-opening moment, a eureka moment when they found out that they were highly sensitive. It kind of, everything sort of makes sense when you start finding out about that. Yes, that's uh, true. Anyway, I incorporated neurofeedback in there and ran the little business for about five or six years in Oregon. Um, now, let me step back a second and let you know, too, I'll squeeze this in. Um, I had first found out about Dr. Elaine Aaron's book on high sensitivity probably in the early 2000s, and I was still in the middle of my corporate career then. Mm -hmm. And like you were saying in the intro, I read the book, um, and as I read the book, turning each page, I was going, yep, that's me, yep, that's me, yep, that's me. But when I put the book down at the end, I looked at the title and said, I don't want to be a highly sensitive person. Mm. I'm a man. I'm not supposed to be that way. Mm. So there was this resistance, even though there was an internal agreement with all the traits and, and characteristics of highly sensitive people, and knowing it explained a lot about my life to me just by having read that book, I was still at a level dealing with that early childhood programming about what a man is supposed to be and what he's not supposed to be. So it actually took me about 10 years to, to assimilate and process this information. Mm -hmm. So in about 2016, I started writing a blog about this. I wanted to write something for men, especially for highly sensitive men. There were a lot of blogs out there, a lot of good material, but I wanted something specifically for men and to answer questions that I had. So the blog started. I started you know, writing on a regular basis. Um, a couple of years later, I realized I had two years' worth of material. I, I could take that and put it into a book. That was always kind of the intention anyway. Okay. And I wrote the first book on uh, Confessions of a Sensitive Man. Um, while I was writing that book, I actually wrote both books at the same time. I had on becoming, or excuse, on being a sensitive man was kind of the trail guide for being a sensitive man. Where on uh, the Confessions of a Sensitive Man was more of a book about my life, my experiences, um, my observations about life. You know, highly sensitive people are very keenly observant mm -hmm. individuals, and so I was able to incorporate those two 
two bits of information. He was able to put two books together. The last book has just recently come out. And I have been doing a lot of uh, speaking and podcasts and sort of uh, educating uh, anyone who listens who will listen about <laughs> this, especially it's trying to reach out. As you put out earlier in your intro, um, it's very difficult. You know, highly sensitive women uh, are embracing this in great numbers. And when you, when you see things where you have a congregation of highly sensitive people, it is a much more uh, distorted in terms of how many women are there than men because in the real population it's about 50-50. So what's happening is highly sensitive men, I, and I'm assuming this, are struggling like I did with mm -hmm. this idea of how can I stay a, a, a being a man and being masculine and still be a sensitive, considerate, empathetic, nurturing, intuitive person that I know that I am. And this is where a lot of the struggles are, is trying to reach highly sensitive men and then sort of do the education thing because I like the way you put the positive spin on it because it is a, it is a gift no matter how it may seem to people at times it is a gift but it has to be managed in some level as well it can it has its challenges there's no question about it mm -hmm. but it is such a great gift to have it's a root cause of so much creativity of insight, of, of, of great empathy. Um, I, I, it, like I said, it's just a tremendous gift. And so that's become kind of my mission, is to go out and try to educate as many men, um, and women for that matter, who have men in their lives who are highly sensitive, mm -hmm. um, and help them come to terms with the idea that being sensitive does not negate your masculinity. It actually, I think, makes you more human. It makes you more fully human because you're embracing uh, your masculine side and your feminine side, which we all have, period. You know, we all have both sides. And as you had said earlier in your introduction, you said so many great things <laughs> at the beginning. There needs to be balance. And we need more balance um, in our culture and our society between the masculine and the feminine. But more men need to start embracing that feminine side uh, which we attribute to the femininity, but but the idea is that it is that balance, that yin yang part of us that needs to stay in balance, and it's completely out of balance right now. I think, especially for a lot of men. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, that's my opening uh, line about who I am, where, how I got here, and and how I came about writing the books. Oh, that's fantastic! Thank you. Uh, we're getting a little bit of an echo. So I'm wondering, do you have two speakers on, William? Oh, there it goes. Okay, maybe it's just the internet. Okay, we're good. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, thank you so much for, for sharing that. And I love what you said about, you know, I'll, re I'll rephrase it like that, that wholeness. Like we all, men and women, are coming, you know, to evolve into that wholeness. So we're not like negating part of ourselves uh, just because society says it's unacceptable. 
it's much more acceptable, of course, for women to be both that masculine, you know, breadwinner and that energy. And, and unfortunately, they sometimes go overboard, like I did, burn themselves out. <laughs> they don't have testosterone to back them up, uh, get adrenal fatigue. And, you know, the, and they, they actually have their own version of toxic masculinity by denying the divine feminine. And yes. then men, on the other hand, right, and we see a lot of young people um, as well, um, I have found more and more young people are sensitive. And, and the funny thing is, and I know you don't know the story, William, about me, but when I was researching for my book, Sensitivity is Your Superpower, I actually contacted Elaine Aaron and her people, and I said, hey, um, I'm, I'm just having trouble finding the actual paper, you know, that you guys wrote or the article that I can reference because my publisher is wanting to, the reference for um, you know, the HSP and the percentage and all that kind of stuff. And so the staff said, you know, hang on, I'll get that for you. It took many, many weeks, but I did get a reply from the staff and they said, well, here you go. And what was really interesting was the paper was from 2018. And I'm like, that's not the same paper I was thinking of. Right. So I open it up and it says 30% of the population in the study are highly sensitive. So I changed, <laughs> I still have to update my website. My website still says 20 but um, the original is a 20, and this newer one, her colleagues found it was 30. And the funny thing is when I tuned in to, you know, source and intuition, and I asked what percentage on the planet at this time is what we would consider highly sensitive, I got the number 33. Hmm. And I thought, well, that's really different from 20, but for the book, I'll, I'll put down 20 because that's what the research shows, you know. Uh, but they actually gave me the most recent research, 2018, it's 30%. And I'm like, ah that totally aligns with what I'm testing. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, so that is really, really interesting. Now, some people, men, women, they're like, okay, well, how do I know if I'm highly sensitive? So maybe we can kind of start there and have you explain a bit of that before, and, and then maybe, the, you know, what the main characteristics are of highly sensitive. Okay, well, we can kind of dovetail both of those together. Um, yeah, there is really one test that, that's recognized by uh, uh, researchers, and that's Elaine Aaron's test, which is um, on her hsperson.com website. Uh, it's one of the drop downs. You can find it very easily. It's a real short test. Um, it's a question and answer test, uh, and it will get you in the ballpark. Let me put it that way. Mm. I've, I've referred so many people to that. I've taken the test myself. Uh, but it's the one that researchers recognize as the benchmark. And I know, understand from Elaine that she's, she's working on a new test for that. But right now, that is the best way of finding out. Um, and it will, like I said, what we're finding about uh, high sensitivity is that it is a spectrum, right? So you have um, people who are... Uh, less sensitive, right? so you might say low sensitivity. You've got a great big middle, uh, like a bell curve, uh, that are in the middle ground, and then you've got the 30%, uh, as you were saying, at the very top end who are highly sensitive. When people take that test, a lot of times what they'll find is they may be just over the line, you know, what they mm. have is kind of a drawing point. I actually think that it, it might fluctuate a little bit because certainly if you're talking about 30% of the population, there's probably more people that might fall just slightly below it but still are highly sensitive. Um, and because it's a spectrum, I think we all have to some extent, you know, we have to have some extent uh, sensitivity to it. And this has been 
the whole sensory processing sensitivity, which is the technical term for high sensitivity, is part of a larger theory um, of, uh, called environmental sensitivity theory. And that really is about how an organism reacts to their environment. And this is the way I like to try to present this to people anyway when they're talking about, especially people who are reticent about accepting sensitivity because they have heard so many pejorative terms used when they say, oh, I'm a sensitive person. Uh, immediately people in our culture tend to think of weakness, frailty, right. too, too easily hurt, too easily damaged. And that's not really what this is about. As it fits under this theory about environmental sensitivity, what happens is it's how you react to your environment. And that's, we generally react with our physical environment through our sensory organs and the inputs that we get from the environment. So what that really means is that high sensitive people are people who are much more aware of the environment in which they live in. In fact, they've used, they're now using a flower metaphor to describe the three, and there may even be four now, distinct groups. The low sensitive people are called dandelions, and mm -hmm. because dandelions are very resilient, adaptive mm -hmm. uh, to their environment. And then the middle ground is called tulips, and then the top end we have orchids. Now, mm. if you've dealt with orchids before, you know how difficult sometimes they can be, but they're very <laughs> sensitive to the environment in which they grow up in or are raised in. And the same thing is true for highly sensitive people. So with that in mind, that there is a kind of a spectrum for this, and the higher end you have your highly sensitive people who are the most environmentally attuned. And I like to think of it as an awareness of your environment. Yes. Because we, we are aware uh, and there's reasons for that. Our brains are wired that way, and we process information that way. Which leads me to what Dr. Aaron uses as the four main characteristics of highly sensitive people. So if you want to kind of checkpoint yourself against these, then that's probably a good indication as well. And she uses an acronym called DOES, D-O-E-S. D is depth of processing. Uh, Highly sensitive people process information at a very deep level. We kind of drop down very deep with this information, and there's a kind of a churn we do when we process things. So very often, just to give a practical example, if someone says something to you that might seem a little cutting or it, it might be hurtful to you, a lot of times what you do is you deep dive with it and try to find out, what did I do wrong? What was the reason why they did that? Whereas a lot of people who are less sensitive that just bounces off of them because they don't do the deep processing that we do. Mm. And the deep processing is very good for our creativity as well because it allows us to take disparate piece, pieces of data, information, deep dive, compare, and analyze things uh, at a deep level. That's why highly sensitive people very often are not good at being in careers where you have to make snap quick decisions, right? We like to take our time. We like to do things thoroughly. We like to process deep in, uh, information at a very deep level. So that's where the D is, the depth of processing. If you do that a lot, that's a good indication right there. Uh -huh. the, the O stands for overstimulation, overwhelm. That means that you know we do get overstimulated at times. We process more sensory inputs um, than people who are less sensitive. I like to think of it like an aperture, you know, on a camera where yes. it's open and closed. Uh, there's, we have filters, and it's necessary for us to do that so we can have, attend to what's in front of us. We can't process every bit of data that comes in. It's just too much. Uh, 
but our filters are a little bit more wide open. And so we're processing more nuanced pieces of sensory data. That's why we can pick up things like walk into a room and kind of pick up the vibe of what's going on just by doing a quick glance or maybe the way we hear uh, voices that are going on in the room or maybe it's the music is too loud or maybe the orders are too salty or whatever. We are picking up all that data. And when you're processing that much data, what happens is that you tend to be get overwhelmed at times. And that's one characteristic that highly sensitive people definitely have. And oh, yeah. we need time to get sort of downtime, decompress time, time to relax, time to kind of re-energize ourselves. So that's another characteristic. The E stands for emotional reactivity slash empathy, Make, using uh, uh, one letter to cover two things. Emotional reactivity or emotional process, we feel things much more deeply than other people do. Our, our emotional uh, depth is, is legendary, right? We, we feel things at a very deep level. Things move us. Uh, we fall in love probably deeper than most people do because that's just the way we are and the way we're wired. Um, on the empathy side, we're very empathetic creatures. We, that's why we wind up in helping professions a lot is yes. because we want to help people because that's part of who we are. I th we all have these mirror neurons in our brains that help us be social animals so, so that we mirror back to the person we're working with, talking with, whatever. But for some reason, for highly sensitive people, they're very active, and that creates this greater bond, I think, between us and other people and the people that are around us. So that's where the empathy gets amplified some as well. Finally, finally, the last letter is S, and that's... Uh, stands for sensing the subtle is what I, Dr. Aaron uses. I kind of call it sensory acuity, but same same thing. It's it's being able to pick up that sensory information, as I was alluding to earlier, picking up little nuanced things, and being able to put it together with our deep processing capabilities. Um, but it's being able to sense that subtlety. That's that's the thing that I think nature has packed in, baked in to sensitive people because we're the cautious ones. We're the ones who see danger before it happens. We're the canary in the coal mine. Oh, I use that a lot, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of that comes from being able to process this information. This intuition we get a lot of times comes from this, this data that we've accumulated and then it bubbles up into our conscious awareness and then we're able to share that. Um, and it's sometimes it's a feeling. It's it's is uh, many of us know that feeling comes up every once in a while, and that is something maybe we feel and sense in our bodies, um, and we are able to uh, articulate that as perhaps a warning or a cautionary note to, or an advice to somebody uh, that we're trying to help. So anyway, that's kind of it in a nutshell. That's the four main characteristics of highly sensitive um, people that is accepted by science right now. Uh, mm. This is going to, no doubt, grow and expand as more research is thrown on this, this topic, and I know that it will. So, Yes, that's perfect. Thank you so much for explaining that. And uh, I know many of my tribe would be like nodding their heads, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Um, and, you know, when you were talking about the aperture, I really liked that um, metaphor for that because uh, I often use something similar um, is that, you know, I, I find with just 
the way of the world. Um, some people call it elevating or expansion of you know, humanity, 5D, uh, whatever you want to call it, I find that people are becoming more gifted, not less gifted. So even the quote-unquote non-sensitives are starting to show signs of sensitivity. For example, one of my friends who I do uh, Kung Fu with, um, he, you know, is not necessarily highly sensitive. Um, And... uh, you know, I thought one day, I thought I'd play around. We were doing this uh, exercise together, and I, I noticed uh, a small error that he was making. So instead of actually telling him, hey, I had seniority, so I was allowed to tell him, uh, hey, you're making a mistake, I just thought about it. And I said, hey, put your elbow in, right? And I just thought it. And sure enough, he almost did it within like a minute. Well, made the correction. And then, of course, I had to stop and go, oh, my God, oh, my God, you just heard my telepathy. That is so cool. <laughs> right? And he goes, what? <laughs> All right. He wasn't aware that he received the information uh, tele- telepathically. And I was like, here is a non-sensitive, so-called non-sensitive, who's actually receiving the information. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's it's really, really interesting how right now, with everything going on in the world, that if one does not honor and respect that they are a HSP, a highly sensitive person, that one could be feeling a lot of emotions coming from, I call it the collective unconscious or mass consciousness or the world or the country or whatever, right. and then really get down and depressed. And I had a few friends who did not reach out to me when they were feeling down, um, weren't students of mine either, but, um, you know, one was had to quit her job as a caregiver because she was so overwhelmed with depression. And I said, you, you know, when I finally find out months later, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I wish you had reached out. It's not yours. It's not your stuff. Yeah. You're just feeling other people's stuff. Um, and, and so this happens a lot. So I'm just curious to see, you know, from, from your perspective, um, over the last couple of years, it's been really difficult for people. How has that affected you and maybe people that you work with? Yeah, I well, I, I agree with you. I think, we're, you know, this is a... a a critical juncture. I, I do believe you're absolutely right. There are more and more people that are sort of coming online, uh, to use a computer term, um, and be- becoming more aware of things and uh, in, in certain sensitivities that they have. Um, I, I think more than anything else, I, I, you look around at the world today, um, and there never has been a a better time for highly sensitive people mm. to step up. True. You know, the thing that I was mentioning earlier is that um, I believe that nature, and you can say nature, universe, whatever, uh, all that is, baked in this, this trait into the human population. And it's been with us from the beginning. Uh, just because it's been put on the map in the last 30 years, doesn't mean it didn't exist before. It's always been there. And I think more so now than ever, um, the traits, the gifts that highly sensitive people need, uh, have, need to be exercised now, um, more so than any other time. Now, I left corporate um, America, so to speak, about 10 years ago, uh, and I see a tremendous need in, in the way that Um, corporations are currently run using it kind of the old traditional masculine model Mm -hmm. conquer dominate 
uh, in some cases suppress um, and exploit. And I think that needs to change. Um, so it, I know there are plenty of people who are out there who work in corporate America, but this is this is where your influence will can start to take hold from, say, even a grassroots level. Um, but as we've talked about, the thing I think people struggle with, and are, people are struggling with this from, from what I'm hearing, both males and females, about the term sensitive and how it's had, had so many pejorative things attached to it. So they struggle with the idea of, is being sensitive okay to be, first of all, and then can I truly exercise my authentic self as a sensitive person in a world that's very sometimes very cold-blooded and that's the idea here is that we're here to interject that humanity back in we're here yeah. to to uh, show empathy you know you know what's funny I see so many places where I'm looking at corporate uh, uh, where they're at try, trying to get uh, new employees they're do, doing staffing and so forth and they're always looking for yes we're looking for empathetic people and we're looking oh, they for say that, that are, they say that but they don't practice it and that's uh, the thing it's a it's a good buzzword but it doesn't really and this is where as highly sensitive people we need to, to start sort of infiltrating and I, and getting into corporate you know uh, c-suites and and being leaders and thought leaders within our communities to start talking about these things. These are things that matter to us: harmony and peace, and 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 loving people, and taking care of people, and nurturing. These are all things that I think that we we are very dear to our hearts, uh -huh. and we need to be reminding the rest of humanity. It's not all about making money. It's not all about you know. Uh, possessions and materialism. It is a, about being connected with other people. Highly sensitive people have a sense about that as well. So, absolutely. I, absolutely. I, think, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's we're we're starting to see some momentum building. Um, I wish I could say more about the highly sensitive men area. I, I I know their men are out there, and I know a lot of men have embraced the trait and, and are educated on it. But I think so many more are still sort of hiding under behind a rock because they're afraid to admit this even though it's not a bad thing uh, admit it and say yeah I'm a highly sensitive man and I am proud of that um, and that's that's where the education part comes in and that's where talking about this comes in yeah um, and that's Absolutely. you know that that's what I hopefully I'm going to be able to do here uh, with the time I have left on this planet <laughs> That's beautiful, and and that's so needed. And the more that it gets out there, the more acceptable it is. Like, look at Brene Brown, right? Um, the the whole vulnerability thing, and you know, she did that TED talk, and um, and she's you know really funny, and and you know had these books, and so people are like, oh, empathy, vulnerability. It, it becomes like a buzzword now. Like, she wouldn't have become so popular if it didn't hit a nerve. Right, if it didn't really, you know, resonate with someone to their core. So I think that as people hear more and more about it, and yeah, that last sentence that you said, I mean, most people are not going to be necessarily proud of being a highly sensitive man yet, but that may that may come. And unfortunately, uh, or at least maybe that's the way it's supposed to be in our historical past, I think 
from my point of view, um, that there is a concerted or was a concerted effort to make sure that those parts were hidden. Um, that it wasn't just, you know, you know, our parents or whatever, they were doing the best they could. But I think that on a bigger scale, there were things that um, purposefully tried to hide some of these gifts that we have. Um, and, you know, I, I love superhero movies, William, and um, one of the TV shows is called The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Have you heard of it? No, I have it's not. Horrible. Yeah, so... <clears throat> I'm giving away the the, the, the punchline at the end here, but uh, sorry, guys, you can go la, 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 and put your fingers in your ears. You don't want to hear what happens at the very end of the series. <laughs> but anyway, so so these these are um, what they call metahumans, and they have different, um, you know, gifts, right? One can move rocks. The other one can do telepathy, you know, all this, these kinds of gifts. And, well, one of them did not have a so-called gift like that. She was just a, excuse the language, badass, right. you know, uh, uh, you know, Mel, uh, Melinda May, and she, she was just a badass kung fu lady, right? She just, like, loved to kick ass. You know, that was her thing. But something happened. She almost died. And this is not uncommon either. When she came back, she uh, was going a little nuts. And what would happen is she would touch someone and, and be them. Like, she would just feel their emotions. Um, and she would went a little nuts at the beginning until she figured out, oh, my gosh, this is actually really useful. I could tell who's lying. And, you know, right. <laughs> and after a while, she was able to, to hone that gift so she didn't have to touch someone. And um, in, this, in this last, you know, bit, uh, right before, you know, the end of the series, they, they, they had basically an alien invasion. And um, they were going to basically destroy everything. And they were beaming all these, you know, AI you know, human, non-humans, you know, to, to the planet to destroy their base and all the people standing in their way of this complete takeover. And uh, what happened was Melinda May, who is now a sensitive, right, she can also um, project empathy, not just feel, but project it. So what she did was she felt empathy, and then the other metahuman that actually pro- projects energy, they put it into a machine that was supposed to control all these robot people. So they put it into the machine, the machine blasted out to the planet, and so they blasted out empathy to all of these so-called alien robots. And at the end of that, you know, they put their guns down because, you know, they said, are you friend or foe? And they're like, friends! (laughs) And I was like, Oh, that was so awesome! You know, I was like so happy. I was like, I say the the the, the weird ones, the you know the ones that they call strange, weird, outcast, outliers, too sensitive. We're gonna save the world. You and know what? You know, I have to say something about that. I in the, the very first book I wrote, I had a, a chapter in there where I, I talked about what we really need is more sensitive heroes and heroines. Um, and that sounds to me like that was a good example of, example of showing what a positive thing sensitivity is and what a transformation it can make, not only in a person, but in the community in which that person lives. Um, it, it, that's, that's amazing. I, I certainly hope they make more movies like that. Um, I would love to see... Um, some movies where they have sensitive male characters as the hero of the, or the certainly mm-hmm. the, the uh, protagonist of the, sh- of the screen, screenplay 
is to is to be a positive model so that kids can see you know what um, our heroes can cry too right and they're and they're still heroes yes yes and I've been noticing these like I said I'm a big superhero fan so one of my favorite TV shows that's still on the air right now and it's I don't know how many seasons has the flash so the Flash is actually DC Comics, not Marvel, which is the other uh, ones I mentioned, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is Marvel. So in the Flash, what I love about it is on in every show, someone's crying. <laughs> and, and this love, and, and so, and it's equal. Half the time, it's the men that are crying, you know, and hugging each other, and, you know, it's amazing. I'm crying. The people on TV are crying. It's awesome. Yeah, so... I highly recommend The Flash, and that's one of the reasons I like it, because The Flash character is just this really a little bit nerdy, you know, guy, and, and but he is, you know, so, like, sensitive and, you know, trying his best and managing his emotions, and, you know, and it's, it's yeah, I, I think that we're, we are getting that out to our younger people, thankfully. It's yeah. happening little by little. And that, yeah, and that, that sets up a good role model for highly sensitive boys who, mm-hmm. you know, don't fit the sort of the the boy code, which is really just the man code, Junior. Um, and it it really is good for them to see on screen because they can do model they they can model after that because they're seeing somebody that's a hero to them is able to express their humanity. Uh, and, yes. and be able to show emotion. You know, I think the two main things that men struggle with the most, whether HSP or not HSP, is is being able to express their emotions, especially difficult emotions, not things like anger, which men seem to be able to do because it's more accepted that men show anger, although Correct. it's not always the best outlet. But when they want need to show compassion or they need to show sadness or they need to show hurt, deep, deep hurt. Mm. Uh, It's very difficult for men to do that. And it's very uh, unfortunate because there are health consequences, very, very definite health consequences for not being able to do those things. So not being able to express emotions, especially things that we have traditionally not let men do. And then the other part of it is letting men be vulnerable right? Mm -hmm. Look for help. I need help. I don't have all the answers. I can't solve all the problems I have. So many men don't get medical help when they need it. They don't get psychological help when they need it. Um, And heck, half the time guys won't even ask for directions, right? To to, to get somewhere. So there's lots of places where men can actually make themselves a little more vulnerable. That doesn't make you weak. And you, you, you can't possibly know everything, but the pressure of having that on your shoulders, um, I think, is very hard for a lot of men. And this is where, just as kind of a tie-in, highly sensitive men could, should actually could actually be models for that because it's so much easier for us to show emotion because it's just an innate part of who we are. Um, and I think there is also this thing. I think highly sensitive men are more likely to go find help when they need it, if it's medical or psychological, than, say, men who are not uh, highly sensitive. Now, that's just my speculation. I don't have a study to stick up and show, but um, I've talked to enough highly sensitive men to know that when they need help, they usually go try to find it somewhere. Mm. Um, They're more comfortable doing that than other men are. 
but those are thing, two things right there that that men generally uh, need to to start learning to um, adopt this practice of showing emotion and, and letting themselves be vulnerable at times. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And some of the young people that I've worked with who are men, they're all highly sensitive. Otherwise, it wouldn't be attracted to, to me or my work or my practice. Um, you know, having the little bit that, you know, I, as a woman, it's not the same, but still having a little bit of support and saying, hey, it's okay, you know, to be who you are. Um, it's just amazing to see how they've blossomed in so many different ways. And some have truly, you know, fully embraced, you know, who, who they are as a sensitive. Um, and it's fantastic, as, as they can still do lots of boy things and masculine things. And certainly my husband is, is, is one of them. Um, he just, you know, he loves doing boy, what traditionally is like boy masculine energy things. And yet he is so sensitive and it wasn't, you know, applauded growing up, but since being together, he's been able to express himself more and more and being able to say, oh, what is that I smell or, you know, or see or hear or, you know, what's this mean and and just being able to empathize uh, more than ever before. It's it's beautiful. It's really beautiful to just witness that. Now, the older Man, like so, my dad's in his 80s now. Um, my mom, who's highly sensitive, and in the Chinese culture, um, it was definitely not allowed for boys to cry and play with dolls and all that kind of stuff, which is what my brother had to go through. Um, she's com- been complaining, you know, for decades about how, you know, dad's not giving her balloons or presents or whatever it is, you know, that he hasn't been able to do because he feels embarrassed. Right. You know, like just. It, it just feels weird to say I love you. Like he never heard it growing up, right? To, to be able to say that is just so weird and he struggled with that. And after all these decades, he's just starting to, you know, hug. I mean, I remember the first time after being married to a French Canadian, um, you know, first time I came back home from college and I gave my dad a big hug, I, th- I thought he was going to like pass out. Like it was just like, this is so weird. What are you doing? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Now it's now it's more normal. So little by little, even even the older generation, it's exciting. Yeah, and I I I have great 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 hope for uh, the millennial Gen Z generation Mm -hmm. generations, should I say? Uh, And the talks that I've had with uh, Gen Z men in particular. Uh, I've been very encouraged by how open and, and, and embracing they are of, of sensitivity, even if they're not sensitive. They're more open to that idea. Yeah. One thing that really piques their interest, too, is this idea of redefining what masculinity could be. Um, they're more open to that idea. I find that people of, of, of let's say, your dad's generation um, and also my generation, even the boomers, um, are... A, a lot less reluctant to kind of open the hood on that and, and, and let's re-examine what it is and what it means. But boy, I'll tell you what, the younger generations are really with it. They know um, that it's been confining and it's not, I don't think it's natural the way we've defined masculinity. It's not allowing people to be the human beings they are. If you think about how amazingly vast and variegated the human genome is. The expression of one single individual, regardless of whether they're 
male or female, um, can be a, a, a myriad of ways that they, they express that into all those genes and, and all those uh, personality characteristics and so forth. So I really think the thing that I see from them and the kind of thing that I'm really advocating is this idea of let's let the person be an individual first, right? Yeah. Um, there are going to be things that are going to be expressed, say, for a, a, a male child that may be more on the masculine side. Some will be on the feminine side. Let's don't suppress those things, but let them be who they are and let them be their authentic, true self. Let them grow up to be a happy, adjusted, and confident individual because they were supported growing up. So, you know, like I said, I think some of these boxes that we've had for many, many years about how we classify men and women are becoming more fluid and they're becoming more open. And I think that's to reflect the diversity of human beings and humankind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we we are evolving, and uh, it is it is so awesome to see this. Sometimes it, you know, looking at the news and things like that, you're like, really, we're still doing that, you know. <laughs> but but other times, you know, uh, we can see huge strides uh, forward uh, for humanity. So, in your opinion, what what's the best way to support a highly sensitive man, or what what do you do in your practice? Well. Um, one of the things, if you're if you're looking to support a high sensitive man um, and be supportive of him, um, and you're not highly sensitive, which happens a lot uh, in couples, is to get educated about the trade. If you understand, like for example, kind of do a deep dive on each one of those characteristics I sh shared, what you'll understand is why they behave the way they do, why things affect them the way they do. Right, mm. and understanding that will make it a lot easier because they're seeing life. We see life through a certain prism. Right, we're all individuals. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different genetic, the genetic makeup, etc. But we sort of all view through this prism of high sensitivity, and 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 it colors the way we look at life. So if you get a better understanding of that, you can be supportive of them. Um, if you're a parent of a highly sensitive boy, um, I would say uh, quit trying to normalize them, right? And right. Put them into sort of that compartment of uh, uh, I want you to be like other boys. Uh, help them in areas where they can you can help them regulate some of their emotional overwhelm. You know, teach them how to to calm their mind down. Uh, teach them some some. Uh, some uh, breathing techniques. There's lots of ways that you can teach these mindfulness things that they could start learning young in life and so that they can start. Because, see, I remember growing up and I'd have these kind of uh, floods of emotion, didn't know what to do with it. Yep. And my parents were both HSPs and they didn't know what to do with it either, you know. So I grew up with this, what am I supposed to do when I tried doing the best I could, which sometimes could be awkward. So teaching them how to, to help them learn to regulate some of these overwhelming emotions would be a, a great thing to do with them as well. And I always like to say, give them gentle challenges too. You know, you don't want them living in a comfort zone bubble that they never get out of. Mm. But by the same token, you don't want to take them to the deep end of the pool and throw them in and say, okay, let's see if you can sink or swim, right? 
The idea is that you give them a gentle challenge. And I like to think of it like pushing the comfort zone out instead of jumping out of the comfort zone. Take the comfort zone and expand it. It's like blowing a balloon up. And yes. incorporate experiences that will help you expand your comfort zone and help you to grow. Uh, that's another th a thing that's really, I think, is important. Um, and if you can help them understand their gifts, that's where the education comes in. That is helpful in building confidence. You know, there's studies that have been out that have, have talked about highly sensitive people. If they're if they grow up in a loving, supportive environment, they turn out to be awesome people. I mean, mm -hmm. not just like everybody would do well in a supportive environment, but they do better in a supportive, nurturing environment than anybody else in the other categories, whether they're the middle group or the lower group. They do better by far because they're in a nurturing, supporting environment. So celebrating their gifts, celebrating who they are, that's going to be really key to making sure they grow up to be confident and individuals that love themselves for who they are, right? They can embrace yeah, who they are. Yeah, that's so important, their own self-esteem. Yeah, and, and, you know, I guess the last thing, especially for little boys, is don't question their masculinity. You know, my dad used to have a saying with me. He said, son, are you a man or a mouse? Oh, and my little four-year-old self wanted to just say, no, I'm neither one. I'm a boy. Right. But, uh, <laughs> but, the, but the reality was, he was questioning whether he intended to or not. He was questioning my masculinity, which is something that, you know, as a child, you incorporate that into your self-image. And that's a really unfortunate thing because being a, being a human being is, is like I said earlier, so there's many ways to express humanity. And not allowing someone to do it their way, um, I think, is uh, an unfortunate squelching of a human being. Mm, yeah, great. Fantastic advice. Thank you, thank you. Uh, let's talk about uh, your website. So when people want to find out more about you, what you do, and um, you know, support for the sensitive man, um, go ahead and share your website. Uh, yeah, the, the website is thesensitiveman.com. It's all one word one, and, and very simple, straightforward. Um, it has uh, links to the books. Um, I have a blog out there that I've been writing for the last few years. I'm still writing on it, and I I would love people to go out and read. Uh, you can do searches on things if you want to particular, find particular items that you're interested in. I covered a lot of territory in five years. Um, but comment on it, and, and if you wish to contact me, uh, there's a place to contact in the, in the back uh, of the website where you can send me an email directly. I answer every email and I talk directly with people and for a lot of people I will even have conversations with them through a Zoom call or something like that. Um, so I, I want to outreach to as many people as I can um, and there are links there also to my social media as well. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, so Perfect. Yes, all that, all that's the source for finding out about me. <laughs> 
Oh, great. So the sensitive man, all one word, dot com. And then Correct. we have, you know, Facebook, the sensitive man as well on Facebook and Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Like you said, I just um, I just clicked follow here on your Instagram <laughs> uh, since I'm on that screen. That's perfect. That's great. Um, and any, you know, things that you want to share, like any other tidbits or, you know, gems you'd like to share before we end our interview for today well I would say this I you know is uh, is often the case uh, a lot of times more sensitive women step up and and, and join in, and engage in talking about this wonderful personality trait that we have um, but for those women I would say please engage your your sensitive man counterparts uh, whether it's a, a brother a father uh, a partner, um, a colleague, and have have them learn more about the trade. I mean, that's really the one of the most important things I think right now um, is that people understand what the trait really means, as opposed to what the popular definition and culture is for sensitivity. A lot of times that's negative, and you don't want to carry that with you. What you want to do is is learn to love and embrace the trait because it really is a gift. As as you mentioned, it is a superpower, mm -hmm. uh, but it needs to be managed, and you need to be able to um, uh, forge ahead uh, with the trait in a very confident and positive way. So, learn as much as you can. There's lots of books that are being written now. There's lots of webinars. There's lots of Facebook groups you can join to, to, to vent and talk to people about and share and all that good stuff. Um, and that's what I would say. Just make sure you keep educating. And if you know sensitive men out there, please tell them they're not alone. There's over about seven or eight hundred million of us out there in the world, uh, maybe even more. Uh, you're not by yourself. So get engaged with that. Perfect. Thank you so much. Well, and that's it, it fuels my passion as well to, to help sensitive people, men and women, develop that sensitivity as a superpower, like you said, you know, to, to be able to manage it. Um, and so, you know, in my book, we teach them how to use it for, it could be personal healing, it could be healing someone else, it could be transformational telepathy, um, you know, uh, you know, doing a little telekinesis, uh, weather magic, creating their reality. So, you know, showing them that they have that power to do that often. You know, all you need is one child to be able to change, you know, the weather for Christmas, <laughs> right? To be able to go, wait a second, I'm that powerful? Wow. Okay, maybe this sensitivity is a good thing. Woohoo, right? <laughs> so I, I love how our work uh, you know, each of our work, you know, balances and, and, and complements each other. So, uh, William, thank you so much for joining us on Light Warrior Radio. Bless you and bless all the work that you do. Bless you, too. Uh, and thank you so much for having me here. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. I want to thank everyone for listening in. And remember, if you like the show, please go ahead and share it to anyone, men, women, you know, who you feel would resonate with this beautiful message. Uh, again, thanks everyone for tuning in. Until next time, lots of love. Bye for now.